Welcome back, high and wide listeners, to another episode of HW Full Circle. This is the show where myself, Jack, and my good friend Steve, we will discuss the ins and outs of our very own Metropolitan Division. Lots of news, and particularly now, the draft coming up. We got plenty to talk about, especially as we see these teams start to take shape. And on top of that, we are very lucky to be joined by Sportsology's Russ Cohen. Russ, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you as far back as last year's draft when we really got this thing going. So uh, thanks again for being here. That's a long time to wait. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good things come to those who wait. Um, so uh, before you know, just before we get into the draft and some of the news, um, Russ, we wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Um, lifelong hockey fan? Yeah, um, lifelong hockey fan. I, I got started myself and uh, a good long friend of mine, Doug Cataldo, started um, Sportsology because like, we met at a West Point football game one year because I hadn't seen him in a while. We used to work together and he moved out to the West Coast and then he, he had come back. So while we were walking around, talking around, he told me that he was starting to become a web designer and you know he was always a creative guy. We did a comic book series together. So he, he really was a good artist and, and could do a lot of things. And, you know, he was like, you know, the internet's just starting to get hot. And this is back in 2000. And he said, you know, you have good sports takes. Maybe we should, you know, start a website and you could, you know, write some stuff for it. And I'm like, all right. And at that point I was, um, I was out of the hotel business, although I had a degree in that. So I was in that for like 10 years and I was probably at that point in the video game business, like as a district manager, but I started to do it with them, and then sure enough, over time, uh, became my, my livelihood because I, I do love sports, and we probably got lucky enough to hit it at the right time where I, you know, I didn't go to a school for journalism. I didn't go to a school for communications. Uh, certainly uh, a longtime sports fan, talk radio junkie, would listen to everything. But, you know, so we got into that. 2001 was my first um, – NHL draft and so that was down in Florida and we actually did a, uh, a live broadcast which on the internet which was unheard of then like we did it with a different company and it went well and so we we started working with the NHL a lot at that point we had done a previous broadcast at the all-star game that year which was in um, Colorado or the year before the 2000 all-star game I guess was well, no, no, 2001 yeah it was in it was in Colorado and so so we had done that that was my first draft and, you know, I wasn't fully credentialed, but I at least got downstairs, got to see some of the players, interview a few. And then after that, I started to get fully credentialed. And so, you know, that took off a little bit, worked on some books along the way. Uh, Sirius XM was just really a lark, like they had just started up. And um, since we had been doing internet radio for, I don't wanna say three, four or five years at that point, uh, sent them an email and they said, well, sure, you know, give us some, some of your stuff, give us your reel and we'll see what it's like. And we did. And, and they said, well, come out here, which was Toronto and try out. And I said, okay. And I literally did. I drove my car for like eight and a half hours, nine hours, get out of the car. And they said, okay, now we got to do the, the test show. And I was like, Hey, can I go to the bathroom first? And so, I did, and I called a few of my buddies. Shane Malloy was one of them, and you know I've done Hockey Prospect Radio with him for a million years. This is the first year I, I didn't, and um, and so we did like four segments, and they said, "Yeah, we want you guys." So 
you know, that, that was like the start of that part of it. And I just, I enjoyed the prospect work going back to that first draft. I met Shane at that draft and, and kind of just felt like, yeah, you know, I always liked this part of things, but the odd thing was anybody we spoke to back then when we said, Hey, what are you writing about? What are you doing with hockey? And I would be like, Hey, you know, we cover the NHL, but I really like prospects. So I think I'm going to do a lot of that. And they were like, why, why would you do that? It's a waste of time. And, and that's what back in like Oh one Oh two, that's what, you know, the hockey writers out there and, and some of the hockey world thought of prospect writing and prospect coverage. And it wasn't really until after the lockout and, you know, the cap coming into play, then all of a sudden uh, prospects became more important. Fans needed to know more because you couldn't spend unlimited funds anymore. And so then it all of a sudden started to get really popular. And then that's when I realized, Hey, this was a good choice. Good thing. I didn't listen to anybody. <laughs> All right. So, so I got to ask you that, that is a pretty amazing way to go about it. I mean, I've always been into sports and that's like the picture perfect. Well, if I could have dreamed a way to get into sports, that's what I would have wanted to do. So congratulations on that, man. That's really awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, I got to ask, what was your favorite team growing up? And if, was there a favorite player that you had that really kind of set you on the path into hockey? Yeah. Um, favorite team, the first team would have been the Mets. I, I grew up on Long Island and and then my first hockey team was the Rangers. It wasn't the Islanders because I'm older than you guys. So the Islanders moved in in 73, but I became a Ranger fan in 72. I was, I was more into baseball because my house was more into baseball at that time. So like from 69 on, you know, Mets and Jets were bigger than Rangers. My dad didn't watch hockey. He didn't know anything about hockey. My brother a little bit. And my brother did start to, you know, watch hockey with me. So 72 Rangers were in the cup and I started getting interested in it. And, and then, you know, more interested in hockey over the years, played roller hockey, uh, did a lot of things that way, watched a lot, went to games at the Garden, even if I lived in Virginia, even if I lived uh, all the way down at the Jersey Shore, it doesn't matter. I would drag people. I dragged the Red Wings fan one time. That was the game that um, Probert and Ty Domi had the uh, multiple fights. Oh, yeah. And we were up in the blue seat. So a lot of, a lot of those kinds of things, you know, led me down that path. And then in 09 after covering a rangers beat for a while and then switching over to philly just because the the grind was killing me but i wanted to i wanted to get my name out there so i stayed in new york and i would travel back and forth for you know more than a few years even when i blew out my knee i was there on crutches because i was trying to make a name for myself so i i felt like that was important and then afterwards you know got lucky enough to write that ranger book and so that really you know, set me on a good path. Even though that book took a year to come out, we were denied on that book the first time. So it was a long year waiting for, for that to happen. But other things were happening, you know, incrementally. And, you know, it's just like one of those things you just, you, you can never give up. And I was lucky because I think if I was a completely hockey um, business at the time when the lockout happened, it would have been really bad. Because even at that time, I did go back and get like a part-time job doing something I was doing um, cosmetic sets in like supermarkets. So this way I didn't have to really deal with anybody. And I just had like music playing in my ears and I would just do the grunt work. Um, and I did that while the lockout was happening and I was covering the Phantoms that year, you know, so that was, you know, my only hockey coverage. So I think that taught me something too, like, Hey, it's still good to be diversified, even though hockey is my favorite sport now, but it is still good to be diversified because you never know. 
That's incredible, man. You really, uh, it sounds like you're really putting the, putting the work and it got you to where you are, but not easy. No, it's not easy. None of it, none of it's easy. And you have to have support from your family and and all of that. Would you say that the rise of the draft, uh, that the football, the way it was being uh, broadcasted at first, led to these other leagues jumping on that, and that eventually led to all the interest in the draft itself and the prospects and what have you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can go back to um, in the 80s for the Jets, the Ken O'Brien draft that gets shown on ESPN, and I think there were 15 fans at the garden that time that they were showing right in like ski jackets and stuff, um, waiting for the picks. There wasn't that many people. Right. But then over time they did make it a bigger production. I did go to the NFL draft in 2000. I was at MSG and I was a fan and I waited online and, and I did go to that and I did some, you know, some hits for that for our website. And, and so that was the first draft I ever actually went to was the NFL draft. And cause the, uh, the NHL one was in Calgary and I, didn't have time to get mobilized and do that. We were just starting out. So yeah, that was, um, that was definitely the, the blueprint for all the other sports. Although baseball has never really been able to do anything with theirs. Mm -hmm. So that's, they just seem to lag with theirs, but you know, the NHLs kept getting better and better. And and I would say by Oh three is when the NHL draft started to get bigger. We always go back and talk about that. Oh three draft. It's one of the great ones of all time. There were some big trades in it. It was um, that was a really memorable one for me. And I used to do double duty. A lot of a lot of people know this, but you wouldn't know it from the last few years. I used to actually not only cover the draft, but do like a show on the concourse that the NHL would approve, and I would put that online on our website. And I would put that up either yeah, I'd put it up like the you know the next day or a couple hours later. So I would do that and still cover the draft. So I used to do double duty. Now I'm, I'm lucky enough. Well, this will be the first year that I'm not doing it this way, but for the last, I want to say five or six years, I have been on the draft floor like Mel Kuyper for, um, for Sirius XM doing radio feed. Now this year, I think we'll be doing it virtually. So, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing too, because that was something where I felt, wow, I actually now I'm, I'm on the draft floor talking about the draft and it didn't really hit me until, you know, I had access where I could just, walk on the draft floor and I see all the GMs and, and all the other faces that are always involved. And, and then I realized, yeah, wow, this is, you know, so that was, that was, you know, how I got to that point. That's gotta be so cool to be on that draft room floor. Or have you ever been down there and saw two GMs maybe talking to each other? And it, I know when they show of on course. camera, yeah. And they immediately think trade, but have there, have they ever been just shooting the, shooting oh, yeah. the piece? Yeah. <laughs> what, what you don't see is like there's an area where yes they could be talking by that fence area where there's media or they could be chatting at the tables but then there's also an off area where like the bathrooms are and they have food and everything and people see each other all the time there obviously oh my god well oh i did have one more question because i'm kind of i kind of feel the same way um so i'll ask you what made you gravitate towards the prospects and the draft process and, you know, throwing yourself into that? Cause that seems like you like hockey as a whole, but you're mm-hmm. really focused in on the draft and the prospects and all that. What is it about that, that just, you just gravitate towards that, you know, sector of the, the game. I like, I like the payoff when 
you follow certain prospects. And look, I do so much now that obviously I'm going to be more wrong than I am right. I mean, that's just the way the business is. But you feel good about the ones that you were right about or the good stories that you followed and then you see them play their first game and they get their first goal. And, you know, like this is an example, like the Flyers had, I think, four players who had their first NHL goal this year. I love that, right? And I'm always trying to be down there and interviewing the guys after that because of the excitement of it. I'm excited for them because I've watched them in juniors or watched them in college and, you know, they've gotten to this point. And, and so I like the payoff of that, you know, and, and that's fun. I also like the fact that, you know, I've seen players go through their whole careers now, like Ilya Kovalchuk was in the 01 draft. Right. And so <laughs> I know. And, and so, you know, you don't think about that, but that's, you know, that's the journey that you go on. And I, and I do enjoy that. And I enjoy seeing prospects, seemingly come in and out of nowhere a lot of times you know we do know about these guys but then there are guys you know like Kerry Ranta with um with Dallas who I didn't know anything about and you know clearly the uh, European scouts in Dallas did and they saw the finished championships and they signed them and <laughs> played you know played this year in Texas and now he's scoring goals in the Stanley Cup you know that's where and that's why I always tell people I'm not a scout right because I don't have the budget to go to 35 games or 40 games of one guy like a team can for one guy that they're interested in or a couple of guys maybe on, on on a particular team. You know, I can't do all that, right? So I just do the best I can, but I like to tell their stories. I do, and, and that's that's the one thing I think that I still do that a lot don't, even especially in the world of analytics. Everybody's always caught up in video and analytics, and I still like telling the actual story of the player, like, you know, and players have been really good with me over the years. I've been able to get some really good information pre-draft about some of these guys and get it out there. And to me, that's exciting too. So those are the kinds of things I like. And so that's why I still gravitate towards that more than anything else. Even though I've covered every Stanley Cup since 03, like I still will always do all those things because I love it all. But yeah, prospects always seems to be number one for me. All right. As a, as a quick follow up to that, who would you say is your biggest, uh, let's call them under the radar hit on a, on a prospect? Because I, I love those stories, like the, the Lindbloms, the Myers that everybody kind of passed on. Who would you say you, you, you had picked out and you kind of saw the success before it even happened? Um, there, there was a lot of discussion about Sam Gerard. Now, I can't say he was out of nowhere, but but again, because of the height issue and the fact that Again, for such a long time in the league, everybody would be like, well, Sam Gerrard, you know, he can't, he's not going to be able to play at 150 pounds and he's playing at 155 pounds like he is. And anytime someone to me says, hey, a guy like this can't play in the league, I'm like, he's playing at 155 pounds. Like, I don't know if you know this or not. And it just seems like those kinds of things. Sebastian Ajo is another one that I tend to get a little bit of credit for. And that's cool because... He's a guy that – and sometimes guys blossom late, you know. Um, there's a guy a couple of years ago that the Leafs drafted, Nick Abrasizi. I, I like the way he plays. I interviewed him pre-draft, and I was like, you know, he really does seem like a late bloomer, and he got ECAC Player of the Year last year. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll be on his way like that too. And then I've had even more unknown guys come up and play little roles in the NHL where maybe, you know, somebody didn't even think they could make it. But – but not anything like long-term, you know, that's why the guys I'm giving you now are the more long-term guys. I remember talking about Gerard to one of my buddies saying he's really similar to ghost. Now this was a few years ago when he came up, 
Now mm-hmm. I wish Ghost was Sam Gerard. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do because what what's changed in both of them is like people were wondering, well, how's Gerard going to play defense? And and yep. the one thing I noticed was I said he's faster than everybody, so he was the first guy even before Carlson that I noticed would get to the puck first. So no matter what, he had the puck and you didn't. So that is a form of defense. Yeah, and 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 that's something that Ghost never does anymore. He doesn't get there first. He doesn't even. I think at times he's hesitant to get there first. Like I, I saw there were times where he doesn't want to be that first guy in the corner because maybe he doesn't want to get hit or maybe he just doesn't have the confidence. And it's a shame because, you know, there is a lot of talent there. But, yeah, Sam Gerrard's a better player right now. Yeah, I just thought that was the first, funny the first guy you brought up. And <laughs> I was all, I, I, like I remember seeing him, I remember hearing about him and just like talking to my buddy saying this is what uh, kind of ghost is. And then ghost fell off and he took off. So. Who knows? Well, to, to counter that, Russ, is there anybody that you everybody was high on and you're like, no, I don't I don't know about this guy. And you were right. Uh, I could tell you Hugh Jessamine. I could tell you I, I didn't like that from the minute go. But I I'm in the business where I have to wait four or five years and and at least see if a guy is going to develop. Hugh Jessamine's a perfect example in the sense that when um, when he got drafted, I just felt like, boy, I don't know. I, I just there's a lot of things that I kind of even just questioning besides as a player what he's about, and you know, and he turned out to be a good AHLer, but obviously not good where he got drafted, right? And so I remember I had sent somebody to cover one of his games at Dartmouth, and I was like, well, this guy's big and bruising. Let's see, you know, what he can do. And the report that I got out of Dartmouth was so bad because, you know, he was like a 6'6", 240-pound guy, 30-pound guy, 20, you know, somewhere in that range. And he was playing high on the power play. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, this is, a flag. this is a red flag. <laughs> and once that happened, I had even less faith in him, you know, because then all of a sudden it's like, and you don't want to just say, hey, I was right. You want to do want to wait and see you know, what a player can do. And it was just like, wow, I can't believe that that's the way they use him. And, and, you know, the Rangers would take him there and it, it, it is just what it is. And it's crazy because, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of picks like that, that teams hope that the guy turns into something and he just doesn't. I'll tell you my longest of longer shots. I had to look up the name because I could remember her first name, but not the last name. So, You'll probably remember the name because he's still on Edmonton. But in 15, Cooper Marodi. Oh, yeah. He, um, yeah, he, he got drafted by the Flyers. Pre-draft on XM, I said he was my draft sleeper that year. And the reason he was my draft sleeper is because I got to a USHL tournament that year. And I really liked what I saw at him. I saw a good work ethic. You know, I, I saw that, you know, he had pretty good wheels. He had a good shot. A little bit of everything was good. And so, yeah, so that was one where it was like, huh, interesting that it sort of worked out that year. But it was only because I had gotten to the USHL and, and really seen him at the same tournament. I saw Ivan Provorov and, and I saw Friedman, Mark Friedman. And, and I wrote about Provorov and Friedman. It's still on, on my website. Um, it was called like the Atlantic Challenge. You know, now at the USHL, except for this year, has a big kickoff classic and I go every year. But this was in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I went. 
And and I and really Ivan Provorov was very unknown at that point. And I wrote about him and just said, Hey, I really think this guy's a player. He was the best player in this tournament. I am now gonna start to, you know, keep an eye on him. And I get Friedman good marks too, but not like Provorov. Like Provorov was like just a cut above even at that point. So that was one even with Provorov where you know, I was probably saying his name before a lot of people, but that's only because I had a chance to see him. I mean, it's like it's like anything else. I just don't think people knew because even when he finally was in Brandon, and if you remember, like I want to say by half season, he was up in the leading scorers in the mm-hmm. WHL, but people still weren't really even then caught on to him. But then it seems like the second half of that season, that's when people started to realize, oh, okay, this guy could really be something. So, you know... Could have been because he was a kind of a Russian transplant playing here yes. and discounted that. Yeah, I, I think I think it's easy. Like there's a there's a guy this year's draft, Daniel Gushkin, who's got a tremendous amount of talent. I've interviewed him a few times. He got a great shot. He but yeah, he he's a Russian who came over to North America trying to get assimilated in a new league. And then, you know, the next step for them is always difficult because it's like, are you going to go to college? Are you going to go and and play in junior hockey? He told me he was going to turn pro, but then now that everything has happened, I believe he's playing junior hockey instead. You know, he's, he's going that route um, instead. But, but yeah, that's another, you know, guy who, you, you know, people have seen him, but not a lot. Not a lot of people have seen him and some team will take him and, Maybe in three years, all of a sudden, people will be realizing, like, hey, this guy's got a high, really high skill level. But, yeah, you didn't know about him because he's in the USHL market. He, you know, it's not a big city, and they don't get a ton of press. That makes sense. Well, with that, the uh, 2020 NHL draft will be virtually held with round one taking place on Tuesday, October 6th, 6th, beginning at 7 p.m. And rounds two through seven being held Wednesday, October 7th, beginning around 1130 a.m. Before we get into uh, the Metropolitan and their draft picks this year, Russ, since I had you on, I really want to ask you about this. Uh, We just saw a Metro trade go down a few days ago as the Pittsburgh Penguins trade right winger Patrick Hornquist, who's got three years left at 5.3 million per year to the Florida Panthers for defenseman Mike Matheson at six years at 4.875 and winger Colton's, um, it's Seaver, yeah. He's just- <laughs> I'm supposed to practice this before. I guess that got by me. That's He's right. at one year at 1.2 million now. As you, I'm sure you know, this has been getting a lot of flack uh, from both Penguins fans and non-Penguins fans. So before we get into all the hate on that, um, just your thoughts on the trade? Yeah. So I was completely against the Matheson contract when they first signed it. Dale Talon, for whatever reason, really liked the guy. I kept hearing comparisons to like, he reminds him of Duncan Keith and I just never saw it. And so I was just like, I don't understand what they're doing here. And now we're, you know, years into this contract and it's like, now you can see, I mean, he's not, he didn't even get power play time last year with Quenville, like Quenville just, and he's supposed to be an offensive defenseman and he's making offensive defenseman money. So they did need to, you know, move him in the worst possible way. Now, uh, Hornquist certainly was not happy that he was traded. Uh, as far as his equipment in the driveway, I'm sure a million players have done that. And, and, and whether he did that to air it out, throw it out, whatever, we're never going to know. But clearly, we usually don't see a picture of it. I'm sure a million players have done it. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get too worried about that. But he did say 
that after like careful consideration, you know, he decided, Hey, this team really wants me. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go there. And, and that's how you know that he was upset about it. But at the end of the day, look, I mean, he still had 17 goals last year. He's a good player. He's a net front presence, but he is a guy similar to Wayne Simmons, where you could see that because of all that wear and tear in front of the net and guys banging into him, that there's going to be a downside to this deal. And so that's why Pittsburgh wanted to move out of that. And Rutherford's hoping like, hey, at worst, I, I've got like some sort of puck moving defenseman. Now, Rutherford did the same thing with Jack Johnson and it didn't work out so good. So that's why I think his fans are hesitant now because it's like, you know, all right, we're starting to slip here a little bit from being a cup contending team and you brought in a real underachiever here. So I think that's why both fan bases are sort of like upset. But I think Florida should be least upset because at the end of the day, they at least win the battle at the ledger as far as, you know, for the cap. And yeah. I was never a fan of that Matheson deal either. I, I thought it was an overpayment from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I, the, the thing with Hornquist, I, I agree with you with the Simmons part of it. I think he actually adds something that Florida is missing. I, I think he adds a little bit more grit to the lineup. He does. And they're kind of like that Tampa team where you're, that you see him skate out outside the, the dots a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think he could bring a nice net front presence and maybe just add that missing kind of um, locker room piece that they like. everybody hates playing against them. So that means you got to love playing with them. Right. No, there's no question about that. And I do think you, what you're saying makes sense. And we're seeing it even like in the cup with Corey Perry because, you know, the Dallas fan base didn't love that signing. And yeah. I was out there for the Winter Classic. And I remember he took a dumb penalty in the Winter Classic. And I think he got booed even. You know, at the Rose Bowl there, well, at the Rose Bowl, what what college stadium is that? Uh, Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Cotton yeah. Bowl. And, um, and yeah, I just, you know, fans weren't thrilled, but now they're thrilled. And, yeah, if you can get through the regular season with Hornquist, get 15 goals, but all of a sudden have him in the playoffs, then, yes, he's a valuable guy to have. Yep. My only question, as far as from the Pittsburgh perspective, how, where are you with what Jim Rutherford is doing so far? Because he caught a lot of flack for that Casper Kapanen trade as well. It seems like he's trying to shed some salary in this deal we're talking about now. He adds almost 800K for next year. They need more talent at D, but he chose to trade his 15th overall pick in a pretty good draft for Kapanen and not a defenseman. Just where are you at with what he's doing and where this team is headed? Well, they've had Kapanen before, right? So I kind of think that maybe the owner has something to do with this. And maybe, you know, because nobody's talking about Mario, right? Nobody ever talks about Mario, but trust mm -hmm. me, he, he's involved. And, and I know he's not like, you know, he, he's not the only owner. But I kind of wonder, uh, because he's a speed guy and they've had him before, if, if they kind of wanted to try and get him back. And that's – so they, they did it because that's – they felt like maybe – maybe even for the last couple of years, hey, we should get him back. Like, he's not being utilized right in, in Toronto. Uh, they've got a lot of forward depth, more than we have. Maybe, you know, we could do more with him. And I think that's a fair assessment if that's what they thought about because I do think there's a little more upside to him. But the thing about Kapanen is hasn't been a good playoff performer. So you kind of wonder maybe, you know, the guys in Pittsburgh get him over that. If they get him over that. And they may have won that trade, but you know, we won't know that for a little while. That's true. Yeah. Curious to see what happens with them, but enough talk about that. Let's get to the draft. Uh, Russ, I know that you're definitely a, uh, 
Rangers guy. I know you like a lot of guys and what have you, but the Rangers do have the first overall pick. Um, everybody on the flyer side was worried about this pick going to pit with all our conspiracy theories with Bettman. Yeah. 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 It could, but we discussed when we did our deep dive of the New York Rangers, how bad it could be if they're the ones to get this pick. So obviously they're taking him. How, just tell us and our listeners how good Lafreniere is compared to the rest of the pack. Yeah, he, he's head and shoulders. I, I mean, he he's a complete 200-foot player already. So a lot of times at that age, they're not. So you have that. Uh, great skater. Really good vision, exceptional vision, like the kind of vision that he can make that cross-ice pass like maybe Giroux could make when he was a rookie, you know, and younger player. Now he makes them sometimes. But but he used to make them all the time, right? And and that was, you know, so he has that kind of vision and, and ability. Great shot. Uh, has a dirty side. He even got suspended this year for a dirty hit. Uh, when, he, when I saw him in the uh, – I went to the top prospects game and – he made sure everybody saw every facet of his game. So he made sure he was on the penalty kill. He made sure he was physical. He made sure he had a goal, but they took it away from him. But he almost had a goal. And so, like, you know, he really put his stamp on that to kind of just show what he could do. And, yeah, he's one of these guys that uh, I don't think he's Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. I think there's a chance that – you know, he's in that Matthews sort of category. That, and, that was going to be my next question. I, I've been hearing for a long time with him, pretty much since he's been at the top of draft boards, that word that I think is overused these days is generational talent. Which Would I do think he in? is. I do okay. think he is. Okay. Yeah, the same way I thought McKinnon was, and I think it took a little while to to bear out. And, like, there's, there's things – I never compare players. That's just like my pet peeve because so many times, like, as an example, I remember in – Rick Nash's draft, they were comparing him to Lemieux, and I'm like, hey, come on. And Rick Nash was a really good player, but clearly he was never going to be Mario Lemieux, right? And so I don't like to, to fall into that. But what I think with with this, if you if you think about Lafreniere, is he he definitely is a generational. And if you look at a guy like McKinnon, I think he could be on a similar path, even though he's not a center, in the sense that it'll take him a little while to build to it. The Rangers are becoming a better team. So as that starts to get better, he'll get better too. And he is still going to improve. He's not one of these guys that when you draft him, you're pretty much seeing the guy you have and you're just going to refine him. There's still an upside there because of his crazy good work ethic and everything else. So I think that's the other part is there's still more to come. And we'll start to see that as he's in the league. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to score 85 points first year in the league. It's hard to do that. So we'll see how that first year goes. And I, I assumed you were going to give him high marks because he absolutely looks like a generational player. Yeah. And I'm not, I was going to bring this up, not that any of us feel this way, but there was talk out there because it is a good draft that the Rangers should trade back for like both the uh, Senators' picks. And I thought that was nonsense. I'm assuming you agree. It is nonsense. You, my, And this is just my belief. My belief is when you have the first pick, if you believe he's the best player in the draft and far better than other players you could get, then you have to take that player. It doesn't matter. It's like I will take the one great player over the two or three really good ones. Yeah, I will. I think that's exactly what we said. We talked about it a little bit. and like that, Those are great to throw out there, but when you know you have a stud, take the stud and then don't yeah. look back. 
Right. Other than that, you're you're throwing two high percentage darts, but at the end of the day, take the guy you know and just let everything else fall into place. Yep. Exactly. Because it's all a crapshoot. At the end of the day, right. even with guys that I'm telling you are locks, something might happen. Something might happen to them physically. Something might happen to them player development-wise. Something may, you know, that changes the course of, you know, this guy's career. I mean, that, it happens all the time. Exactly. So I, it's almost like I felt stupid mentioning it, but there was talk out there. I felt I had to. Glad we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, no, no, don't feel stupid mentioning it because the talk was certainly there. And right. even, you know, even on like Sirius XM, I would get asked about that. You know, is there a chance they're trading a pick? And I'm like, no. But of course, Jeff Gordon's not going to say that the day they get the, the ping pong ball. But you also knew that he was pretty much going to be a Ranger. Like that wasn't, nothing was changing there. Right. And uh, I'll try to keep this very much to the Metro, but I'm curious, Russ, because I've seen a lot of change. Who do you have as the second best player? Because I've seen some change at the top there. Yeah, I I still have Quinton Byfield. I, I have Stutzla as my sixth best player. There's other guys that I like better for different reasons. Now, um, for me, Quinton Byfield, it's very simple. I think he's the best center in the draft. He's a natural center. He's been playing that position. He still has upside. He's big, strong, and fast. He knows how to score goals. He knows how to play physical. Stutzla, who I interviewed probably before anybody, and really I, I, I had a great interview with him because, you know, for the World Juniors and, and then after that, he started to practice playing center. But he's not a natural center. He's been playing wing over there. But, you know, and maybe this year that'll change, right, because they know – He's going to become a center. Maybe they'll let him play center. But that's something where he's going to have to make that transition. So if the Kings decide they're drafting him there, then he is going to have to make that transition. Now, Pierre-Luc Dubois did it, but I also think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a lot more physical than Stutzla will ever be. And so that's part of making that transition. I still think Stutzla is a great player, but, you know, when you're playing in, in, in Germany, there's not a lot of back pressure. There's a lot of space on the ice. Now, he, you know, he has played in North America, and I do think he'll be fine in North America. But, but there are adjustments he's going to have to make to his game, I think even more so than Byfield. Now, Stutzel is going to play in the NHL quicker than Byfield, but it doesn't mean he's better. Like, that, that argument will, have, will take a little while. But that's one of the things where I really think Byfield's still the second-best player in this draft. And – and I have Stutzla sixth, and I'm and I'm stubborn about it only because I think he's going to be a terrific. I, I think you know 70, 80 points. You know, I remember when Drysaddle's draft was, and they were calling him, you know, the the German Gretzky, right? Well, he's been pretty close to living that up, like he, you know, and 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 that's and that's a rarity, right? Because most of the time when we kept hearing that, like this guy's the Austrian Gretzky or whatever, you know, it never would work out. But it's worked out for Drysaddle, and that's why I don't think Stutzla's Drysaddle. I don't. I think he's a notch below that for sure. I think there's great vision there. Uh, I do think he's going to have to be a little tougher. I don't think he, he has to play that way right now. And so based on those things, I think there's still more development. It's the same thing as, 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 as Moritz Seider. I really loved him where a lot didn't. I had him ranked a lot higher. And, but when the rubber went, you know, met the road, and I even saw one of his preseason games, uh, when the rubber met the road, they were like, you know, you still need some more seasoning. That was a good call by Detroit. Now this year he's going to play, I'm pretty sure, and and that probably did him a world of good. I don't think that's going to happen for Stutzla. I think they're going to 
Well, I mean, we can't say because if the NHL starts in January and he's already been playing since November, then they may just let him finish out the season in, in Mannheim and then come over after. So that's the other thing. I, I have to now erase things that I always had in my head about guys coming over and playing and not because everything's changed in the world. And so there are guys who are going to be playing on draft night who you know won't even know if they're drafted until like there's a break in the game or something. Then there's players that, you know, they're, they're playing right now. They're playing right now and they're going to get drafted. Like that doesn't happen in the NHL draft, but now it will. And so then you do wonder, is a team really going to upset, you know, a guy's season by saying, yeah, you know what, let's have you come over in January. Like, you, you know, for some of them, like that's why Lafreniere, I, I, I think, decided just to not play anywhere because he knows he's going to play right away. And it's just easier for him that way. And so that was a, a, probably a good choice, even though he could have gone to like Switzerland too, the same as Matthews, you know, and, and had a, a good first season that way. But I think he decided, hey, you know what? I'll just wait it out. And I think that's a good call. But some of these other guys, yeah, you might have to uproot them. All right. So you mentioned something that is it's kind of something I always wonder about. And um, since you mentioned it, I'd like to ask you, how much do you factor into – your draft evaluations when guys kind of are, are playing a very skilled game, you don't see them playing the tougher game, which we know the NHL um, it plays a much heavier game than some of the overseas leagues. How much do you factor into your um, overall uh, assessment of a player and whether or not you think maybe it'll translate for them or someone that you just kind of take off your board because you don't think they'll be able to play um, the physical game of the NHL. So it'll stunt their growth a little bit. Yeah, um, I'll use an example of a guy who I just interviewed last week, Zion Nybeck. I've been looking to get a hold of him, and so people could check it out on Sportsology. But, you know, he's a guy, he's 5'9", he's 175. He's certainly sturdy enough that if he wanted to play a little physical, he could. I asked him if guys take a run at him overseas, and he says, no, they don't, you know, in the SHL. And... But here they're clearly gonna, especially if he's setting up around the net, which he does, and and does a fair, you know, and has a really good shot. So I think that that is something that will be an adjustment for him. Now he everything else of the North American game he likes, right? He's played over here and he likes the the quickness factor. He thinks quick. He thinks he could score quick, and all that's great. But yeah, how are you gonna score? And I do look at some guys like that. And sometimes guys in juniors who are very physical and juniors can and can score a certain way because they're big and they maybe weigh 210 pounds, all of a sudden, as they start moving up the ladder, you know, that scoring gets harder. Like Isaac Radcliffe now, the scoring is starting to get harder, right? And he is going to have to figure out, okay, I used to do it this way there, but now how am I going to do it here now that I'm a pro? Because a lot of times it does change for, for some guys. Yeah, I always, I always uh, am interested in that because you see guys that just – can't handle it in the NHL. They were the scoring leaders in their yeah. in juniors, and then they come up, and the the physicality they just can't seem to find the back of the net. So, uh, thanks for uh, elaborating on that a little bit. No problem. So, with that, we'll move on to our uh, our next uh, Metropolitan Division team in the uh, New Jersey Devils, drafting seventh overall. Uh, Russ, if everything were to go how you had your rankings set up, um, you'd have. The best available player being Lucas Raymond. What do you see New Jersey doing? Right. So with with the rankings, the way sort of rankings work is that's where I think 
the guy is in his draft class. But usually with rankings, it could be a plus five or a minus five as far as where they go, right? And Raymond actually will probably be gone by seven because I think someone's going to bite at him. He's playing now. They get to see a little more of him. Uh, I am working on a mock, which I never do, but this year I, I did one. I used to do them a while ago, and then I start, stopped and I did rankings instead, and, and I like the rankings better. But I am doing a mock, and if it stays the way it's going to for me, I haven't taken Holtz, but I don't know if it's going to stay that way because I'm debating it because um, I love Holtz's sniper ability. Like I, I think, and again, he's got to work on his skating. There's some things he needs to work on, but he has great vision too. Like this guy not only can snipe, but he can make a great pass too. Um, he has one of the best shots in the draft. And Devils clearly do need guys that could do that. But, you know, if Raymond's there, they might go Raymond. You know, and that's the internal debate there that I have. So I think those are two guys, like, right there that the Devils can probably have a shot at. So you think they're going to go winger with that pick based on who's available or who should I be? think they're going to go best available, but I think there's – Okay. But I do think they're going to look for an offensive player. I just have that feeling. Uh, they'll definitely – you know, look, I mean – if somehow Drysdale drops and he's there at seven, I'd have to give it serious consideration because I think he's the best defenseman in the draft. But Sanderson might still be there, and they have to give that consideration. But I don't think Sanderson has amazing offensive upside. I, I think that um, – I just think it's okay and maybe going to get good. But he's a great defender, and he's a great puck mover. And so you look, and he doesn't really make mistakes. So, you know, there's that angle of it. But I think when the Devils look at their – overall system i kind of think when they're high like that they might be looking more at offense okay just a gut we'll, feeling and we'll get more into the the devils and where they're headed because they got two more picks in the first round here that must they be do nice. um so we'll move on to the hurricanes i mean you, you gotta figure if yarslov askarov is available they have to take him right i mean that's what everybody's looking at i don't think he'll make it to them Okay, neither do I, but who do you think would take him before he dropped to the Hurricanes? I think um, I think the Wild would, because clearly they're, they're trying to move out uh, Devin Dubnik, and I think they would be okay with Staylock for a little while, and I think they like their AHL goalie, you know, Kekunen, but I don't know if he's an NHL starter. He was AHL goalie of the year, but that's clearly, you know, they could go with those two guys next year, right, and, and draft a Skarov let him play in Russia for two years, even still trade Dubnik if they want to, and still be in pretty good shape. And so I don't know why they wouldn't, especially when he's a, he's a franchise goalie. Yeah, we have a upcoming uh, mock we're doing with a bunch of different podcasters, and I got the wild, and that's who I, I have them taking. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if Buffalo didn't have Pekka in, they might think that way. But I know they're pretty high in him, and I, and I think he did turn the corner like two years ago. So I think that's why you won't see them do it. Well, that begs the question, do you think there'll be a lot of movement in this draft with it being virtual? Will that have any effect, or what do you think? I think players will get traded and picks will move. I don't know if there'll be a lot of draft pick movement. I think in the first round, I think, yeah, you'll see your typical a couple of teams move up and move down. That always happens. And then I do think as the draft moves on, yeah, you'll see in the second round, a few teams will definitely trade up to get a certain guy they, they still see on the board in the second round and will pay an extra pick 
to do that, right? You'll always see that. But I do think with this draft, based on what's going on in the marketplace, that we'll see more actual player movement than we have seen the last few drafts. Because usually day one, last few years, it hasn't been that good. Day two, a little bit more. Um, but I do think this year, day one, we're going to see some more because uh, there's not as much time in between when this season ends and the next one begins. There's not much time between the draft and uh, free agency. So that's why we're starting to see – we're going to start seeing probably even tomorrow, you know, like the Tory crew getting traded for a pick to mm-hmm. exclusively talk to him because you're not going to have that long to talk to him. So, you know, those kinds of things are going to start to come in play now. If, if you were the Hurricanes, do you think Askarov is worth trading up for? Is he that uh, – is he going to be that good? Yeah. I do think he's worth trading up for. Uh, they have plenty of assets. Uh, I don't see why they wouldn't want to. I think they probably would look at it. But I felt like their fatal flaw was when they had um, a chance to, to get Robin Leonard and they didn't do it yep. because they, they thought the price was too high. And now they're never going to have a chance to sign Robin Leonard because he's probably going to stay in Vegas because he likes it there. If they had just traded for Leonard and paid the price, they probably he probably would have liked it there and they could have extended him and that would have solved their goaltending problem. But they just – you know, Waddell just didn't want to go that extra mile, and that may cost him. I always felt like that was a ticking time bomb with those guys. I mean, we saw uh, – what's his name in Philly last year? Um, Mrazek. And you, you knew yeah. at some point it was the wheels were going to fall off. Now, it was Sveshnikov getting hurt, but still, it just it, – it felt like strain going into the playoffs with those yeah. two guys as your starters. Yeah. The funny thing about Carolina is they made a lot of moves at the trade deadline, but they, for whatever reason, neglected goaltending. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never understand that. Well, but. I don't think they neglected it. In their minds, it's like, hey, we've got two guys. And look, we all have to admit, Reimer did way better than we thought he would do this year. Way better. So in a way, they were right to some degree, just not right enough to to get to the cup. That's the issue. Yeah. Like you had stated before, I really thought the guy they would have been targeting would have been Leonard, and they had a lot of moving in day. I mean, they got Brady. I'm sure they're going to call him up in the free agency period. I'm sure of it. But oh yeah, yeah, but now he's not. Leonard probably won't be looking at them as his number one spot anymore because if if Vegas has this supposed deal written up already for Leonard, which they might, then he's probably going to go there, stay there. Well, this is the only uh, first-round pick the Hurricanes have, so the goalie's not there. Where, what position do you think they go, and particularly what kind of player do you see being available there? Yeah, so this is like 12, right? 13. 13. Yeah, because I'm doing that by memory, so I don't have them all memorized yet. Um, <laughs> I could pull up my mock, but I don't want to do it because if I start doing that, then the company I'm writing the mock for might get mad at me. So <laughs> <laughs> um, at 13... I think, you know, they could look. There'll be some centermen there. Uh, I don't think Lundell will be there anymore. Certainly Rossi and Perfetti, long gone. Uh, Dylan Holloway, that would be a guy they could look at because Dylan Holloway, I think, has a lot more offense than he was able to show the world in Wisconsin because, A, they were a train wreck, and, B, it's hard to actually be a true freshman in college hockey and, and excel that way. I mean, even Caulfield's numbers were muted a little bit he was hot for a while, and then as that team sort of was getting lousy, he cooled off. But he, you know, so you could see what that can do to somebody who's a true freshman there. Um, so I do think there's those 
I, I think there's, you know, Holloway, Mercer, Jarvis. I think we're looking at those kinds of guys, depending on who is still there. I think they're all good picks. Um, you know, maybe they even look at someone like, you know, Maverick Bork there. But I think those other picks are more likely. I think the Jarvis, Mercer, Holloway, I think that's sort of like their wheelhouse. So in your mock, because I have it in front of me, 11, 12, it's not a mock. <laughs> I'm sorry. In your best available, because you don't do, you don't like mocks. That's no, I just do rankings. That's it. Your <laughs> rankings is uh, Jarvis, Mercer, and Holloway, and 13th is Holloway. So wow, <laughs> right on the nose. <laughs> yeah, so, but it, it it doesn't always work that way, and it's not supposed definitely. to either. So it's fine. Um, now in the mock, it's supposed to, and I'll probably you know do like 50 percent on that if I'm lucky. Yeah, what you're saying about a mock because all it takes is one team. If you're oh, yeah. you guys, it just throws everything else off. <laughs> well, that's why you're just going for that slot, but still, even just to get a guy right for that slot, if I'm a team that's trading into the top 10 and I'm going to get Askarov, that is going to change the complexion of the next three or four picks at least. That, yeah, and the whole thing is pretty much screwed up at that point. So I, yeah. I totally understand. Um, I definitely have – I don't have a mock next to me when I watch the draft. I have best available next to me when I watch the draft. <laughs> no, and that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so with that, I mean, I'll just finish it but off. I will, I will tell you this too, though, and this is something where I'm a little different, I think, than some others. If I don't feel like I have enough info on a guy or I haven't seen enough, like like Paterka is a good example, and even and Reichel. I had a lot more on Stutzla. Now, I did watch the World Juniors, but I was focusing more on Stutzla. I still have the video – but I don't have any regular season. I don't have much regular season stuff on Paterka or on Reichel. And so I left him out of my rankings and I'll do that. I Samsonov was the same way for me. Like I knew he was going in the first round high up, but I had nothing on him. I didn't have good video. I didn't have enough where I felt comfortable saying, yeah, this is where I rank that guy. So sometimes I'll leave some guys out just based on the fact that I don't feel like I have enough on them. Okay. Fair enough. All right. With that, where do you see – like the Hurricanes had a pretty decent season last year. Uh, Steve, I know you really liked them. Obviously, goaltending was an issue. But, Russ, where do you see them going forward? Uh, as far as, as contender? Just with their team building and how well, – I think, I think they're on the right track. I mean, Jake Bean will work his way in this year, and I think that'll be a uh, a nice thing for them. Hayden Flurry, maybe he'll get dealt in this offseason. If not, he you know he's taking a step forward. Defensively, they're great. Offensively, they're good. Uh, for some reason, at times, they still struggle to score, but maybe Martin Netches will, will catch fire this year. And if he does, then then I think the goal scoring gets a lot better. I, I think, you know, they're a definite playoff team. And if they had a better goalie, a cup contender for sure. But, again, it's a big gift because a lot of teams in this league don't. Yeah, it just shows you how good the Metro is. But uh, I'm, I'll see what they do. I I don't see them getting a goalie now. I agree with what you said uh, about Laner, but if they did get a goalie, that just would make. This I mean, they could get a goalie, right? But it yeah. just it, it's not going to be one of the top guys. I don't think. It, me neither. Not at this point. Yeah, uh, it just shows the Metro for you. But um, yeah, move on to New Jersey. Another the one team that was struggling, and now they got three first round picks in this great draft. They got now we're looking at them at 18th and 20th. Uh, also, just brought in Lindy Ruff to be their head coach. Where do you think they go with these two picks, having them just added in, at least we felt, a winger in Holtz, if right. they go that route? Right. So at that point, around 18, if they wanted to get a defenseman, 
I mean, I'm, I'm pretty high on Jeremy Poirier, but I understand why some aren't because he doesn't play defense. But it doesn't mean he won't in the future. But offensively, he's, he's terrific. Uh, Braden Schneider will be around. He's a, he's a, a solid defenseman. Um, they, you know, I have a feeling with Lindy, someone like Hayden Gooley would be a guy he would like because of the physicality. He would know, he would know Brendan, right. Because of his time with Buffalo and Brendan was a prospect there. And so, you know, I, I could see Caden Gooley, uh, being one of those guys. And then, you know, for their other pick, you know, it could be, it could be Amarov. It could be, I don't think Jack Quinn will be there anymore. Jan Misak would be around. You could maybe see Maverick Bork. Uh, I'm high on Bordalo, but I, and, and, and they might go for a guy like Bordalo with that extra pick. You never know. Um, Connor Zary, Connor Zary. I don't know if he'll be a center now. That's the thing I'm starting to question, but certainly uh, has a lot of offensive gifts. So I think those are some of the, uh, players and, and and if they wanted to get into a, a defenseman who I think has offensive upside because he just had to play a shutdown role this year, but he's physical and can play shutdown is Ryan O'Rourke. And I'm sure people would start saying, Oh, well he's not supposed to go that early, but like whatever. You like the guy, you take him, you worry about that stuff later. That's how I feel too. I think people get so locked in where they guys should go. And yes. if you're a team, if you like a guy, if you scouted them, take the guy you like and right. let everybody else be damned. Yep. Sounds like if they go winger at seven, they're most likely going to go center and D in some combination with these. Yeah, picks. I could see that. And then if they go center early winger and D uh, either way, I think they're going to get three pretty decent prospects. They will. Uh, yeah, they will. This should help them. But again, they're still in that middle mode where unless they spend some money and Josh Harris is not known for spending money, um, you know, Sixers fans know about that. Yeah. He did for a little while. And then, and then he didn't want to spend on Jimmy Butler, but I don't know about basketball. I'm going to stick to hockey here. So, <laughs> so after that, we got the Columbus blue jackets at 21st overall. Good season from them, man. I cannot believe. What, what was your feelings on the Jack Adams with him finishing third in the voting? Yeah, I thought he should have won it. I'll be honest. I know um, AD was certainly on a lot of people's radar and should have been, but he had the fewest guys to work with. He lost Panera, and he lost so much. He even lost Wierenski and Seth Jones at one point. Like, come on. And, you know, I, I just felt like it, it should have been Torts. And I'm not a Torts fan, but I felt like he deserved it. Yeah, I mean, towards AV for me, I didn't see Cassidy coming out the way he did. I thought if that was the case, Cooper would have won last year, you know, for yeah. breaking the records. Like, so I don't know what they're going by. But, um, yeah, so what do you think? Go ahead. I could I could see um, if Amarov were still there, possibly Amarov. They've had good luck with, um, with some of their Russian prospects, getting them over here kind of quicker. He's already a, a, a solid two-way player, and – and so Amarov could be any, you know, obviously he has offense too, but he's really good defensively already. So Amarov or Paterka, I think Paterka is a possibility. I have a feeling he could be a Yarmol kind of player. And again, maybe on a little quicker path because he's playing in the DEL. So, you know, that's something where I, I think those two guys, I could even see him again saying everybody be damned and going like Hendricks LaPierre because of, the talent he has, but he, you know, he had an injury. So it's hard to look at what he 
could have been offensively this year. He was really good offensively last year, but he was going to be better this year. But, you know, injuries held him back a little bit, but the talent is there. And so, you know, he might just go with that because that's a center. They kind of going to need more centers in that in that system. So, you know, maybe even him. I'm just surprised they're drafting this high. They really had a nice bounce back season. They did. This is a bonus for them, really. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and with that, we've been waiting to get to this. Uh, before we get to the who you think the Flyers would take, just on our prospect pool, with like a lot of guys graduating, are there any names that you really like and you think can make an impact with the Flyers uh, relatively soon? I think Tanner Lusinski could take the 4C spot. I'm high on him. I've been high on him for years. I really felt like there was a chance um, pre-COVID that he wasn't even going to sign with the Flyers. But I think once that happened, it limited him as far as maybe – uh, teams that maybe were going to have interest because all of a sudden everything changed. And I think he was smart to sign with the Flyers. And now it looks like there's an opportunity for him. He, he, um, he's a good skater. He's strong. He's got a great shot. There were times where he was like the offense for Ohio state. And, and so I, I look at him and say, and it's, it's one of those things where he's not going to be a high, high scoring guy, but he might be able to get 10, 12 goals for you. But, but he has a complete game and he can do those other things and he has good vision. And so I think, I think there's a chance he could steal the four C spot. The way our cap is looking right now, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of leaning on frost, making the team right. uh, a guy like Bunneman. If we have to, if, if Tana Lozinski takes it, that's fine with me. Um, yeah. Bunneman, I think, I think I would like Bunneman better as a fourth line winger, to be honest. Um, I just I don't think he's great at faceoffs, and Lasinski's better at faceoffs, I think. But but I like the hard play that Butterman gives, and I felt like AV was using him the right way, and he played hard along the wall and behind the net, and did a lot of those things that some of the veterans weren't doing right, and that's why we all looked at Butterman and said, "Hey, it's okay that he's in there. He was earning it." Yeah, people definitely like the play from Bunneman. And you know what? It sounds like we're going to have to replenish our lines from within. There's not a lot of yes. cap to go around. No. What do you think a guy like Brian Elliott gets if I he's mean, signed or he hits the open market? So, like, I guess he'll get something, like, right around two again, maybe a little more. I think if he were to go back to the Flyers, I don't think he would come at the same rate, just simply because they know his agent knows that they need him. So I think if nothing else, maybe maybe you'd have to give him a little bit. Maybe you'd have to give him two and a half, right? Because Carter Hart already said, I really want him back, right? Yeah. And now I do think some other teams would be interested in Elliott too because the way the NHL is going now, there are a lot of teams like you saw with Jake Allen that are willing to give it back up 30 games. And you know what? Elliott earned it this year. You can look at his numbers and say, yeah, weren't the greatest save percentage and stuff, but he won a lot of big games on the road when Hart was struggling on the road. And they wouldn't, you know, you can make an argument that they wouldn't have been in such good position without Elliott if Hart would have had to play those games and they had some other lesser. So Elliott got stayed healthy this year, and I do think there are going to be uh, suitors. I don't think it's a guarantee that he just signs back with Philly instantly. I think they're going to look around a little bit. Yeah, that's a shame because we did a – Because he's on the cheap end of the goalie market where it's a flooded goalie market, but he's not the expensive type. Yeah, and I'm hoping he's back, but, man, cap is really limited. And you've seen what some teams are doing. I think when you saw Alex Lyon getting signed that quick, that is Fletcher's way of saying, okay, 
at least we've got line in case we don't get Elliot back, and then we'll have to look around for you know a cheaper option, and then let Elliot let Lyon try and be the backup if he can. If not, then he's the number one guy in Lehigh. But I think I don't think they would have signed Lyon that quick if they didn't worry a little bit about Elliot. That's just my feeling. Makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, the prospect pool is still. Looking pretty strong. I obviously they're not going to go goalie or de- they could go defense. I don't think they need to. Um, where do you think? What position do you think they're going? Scoring winger because everybody's been clamoring for that. Or do you think it's time to restock some of our centers if Frost and Bonneman and those kind of guys are coming up? I mean, a lot of it will depend on has a guy fallen where they feel like they're getting great value. But I'm not going to go with that theory because that one you don't really know until you're watching the draft and seeing it happen, right? And so I think they are going to go winger. And, you know, my first gut feeling is, is Tyson Forster. I, I did do a, uh, a feature on him somewhere, maybe my website, maybe somewhere else. If you put my name in his name, you'll see it. But I like him because he's got a, a great shot. He already has good speed that I think will be improved on. And he plays tough. And you might say, hey, uh, you know, we have some guys like that, but not really who could possibly be a high-end goal scorer. And, and and this guy could be. And so that's where I look at it and I say, you know, yeah, Radcliffe, you know, he's not going to be a high-end goal scorer. Maybe you roll the dice and you hope that he can be, because if he is, then the fact that he is a big, strong winger and he can score goals, that, you know, that, now you got something. You know, the power forwards are, are a lot harder. Um I'm sure there'll be talk about Ridley Gregg if he's there because Mark is in the uh, organization. And I, I don't know if, if they would draft him or not, but they drafted Luko's kid that time. But again, that wasn't a first round pick. That was like a seventh round pick. Um, but Ridley Gregg is a good player. I watched him in the uh, top prospect game. He could He will play in the NHL and he'll probably be a third liner. But again, I don't know if the Flyers should play it safe here, even though Brent Flair has a history of sort of playing it safe. I think you're right. I do think they need to roll the dice a little bit because we all know about passing on Caulfield. And again, they went with the theory, hey, we got York and and Brink. But, you know, the more I talk to certain people about Brink and I work with um, people over at Elite Prospects and we, you know, we chatted up and, and there have been some good theories like, you know, he does get hurt every year, and I do think he gets hurt because he's not built up yet. Obviously, he has to get bigger physically, but it's only because of the way he plays. If he played a different way, I would say the same thing I would tell you about Sam Gerrard. Like, hey, he doesn't have to be physical, but the way he scores his goals and the position that he puts himself in, he at least has to be able to take a take a hit. And right now, that's the thing that's holding him back. So Flyers fans can see, yeah, he could – get points and everything else, but you don't know if he's going to be like an oft-injured guy. That's the little bit of the worry there. York, I think, is fine. York will be really good. He does need to be physically stronger, and I really hope they don't rush him. I got to ask you about one more guy that kind of seems like he may be a little bit forgotten, and that's Jay O'Brien. I remember when they drafted him, I thought it was a pretty good pick, and then he had a couple of uh, up and downs so far in the system. Yeah, are we? Are we? Is there any hope for him? Is that someone we should keep an eye on? Or yeah, I still think you should keep an eye on him because he is still feisty. He is still fast. So those are things that that play well in the league. He wasn't a good student, so that's what 
doomed him the first time, but then, yeah. you know, he went to Pet Penticton. That's fine. Um, and now he's coming back. But now the college season has been put off for a while, so he's not going to play that many games. So I feel like he is now falling behind in his development because of circumstances. It's just the way it is. And so I think it's going to take him longer than even they probably thought it would be to get him there. And so we'll have to see how he does in college this year. But I, I wouldn't totally forget about him. I think it's like Maxime Shusko. You look at him and you say, hey, you know, there is something there with Shusko, and it's taken a little time. But well, I think with O'Brien, there is something there. But now because of circumstances, you know, because these guys have to play a certain amount of games. Like you can't just walk into the league, you know, playing 30 games a year and expect the guy to be ready and be able to play 82 games. It's really hard to do that. Some have been able to, but it's hard. So real quick on Bobby Brink, and I think this is a little ridiculous, but I have read that they've used the word hate with his skating. Now, where are you at with that? No, I don't hate it, but I, I understand. I think, and look, I'm not a skating expert. Everybody, you know, you look at, I don't know, Matt Barzell, and he's a beautiful skater. Like, you don't want to say that about a hockey player, but he is because he's graceful and the way he uses his edges and the way he, he gets out in front of the puck and – gets out in front of the defense as a result. Those are all great things. It is a little choppy for Brink. And I think I think it got that way because, you know, he's one of those guys. You put him on the first line, he could play first line. You put him on the second line, he could he could play with higher players like that. But I do think there's going to be a point where he won't be able to hang with them because his skating has to get better. And so I do think that that has to happen. But I do think it's happening. I think it's not like Matthew Strome where he, for three years, kept saying, I'm getting faster, I'm getting faster. And he did, and it still just isn't fast enough, right? He's got everything else. And I don't think Brink's at that spot. Because Brink knows where to go on the ice and stuff, and I do think he um, he has really excellent vision. So I think he's got some other things that offset that, like Toffoli. Toffoli's not a great skater, but I do think it would help Brink if he was faster. Is there anybody in our prospect pool that has maybe can make a resurgence like we saw uh, Torwinski earlier this year didn't see much of him after that. We drafted Rustov in the first round. A guy like Pascal LeBurge was a second rounder who took a major injury. Wade Allison's been in, been uh, around for a while. He's been dealing with injuries. Uh, we've heard Noah Cates' name drop. You see the any of these guys in the next year or two making any kind of push? Well, Cates hasn't signed yet, right? I don't so think I, so. Right. So I think when Cates signs, there could be a nice trajectory there. I really do like the way he plays. He was a little bit younger, right? They took him out of high school, I think. And and I got to see him uh, in the USHL and then in college and really liked the progression for him, right? He won a championship in college. He and his brother, um, I think it's Jackson. They had Jackson in camp a year ago. And I put both of them in my college hockey book. It's called uh, Sticks and Stones. So I actually put the Kate's brothers in there because I, I liked the way they were sort of, you know, had become winners, but yet they're still both trying to make a name for themselves and, and in the NHL someday. Um, so I do think there's something there. And I do think with Cates, there's something there. And Allison, definitely. Like, Allison has to just prove he could play 60 games. You know, play 60 games in the AHL if that's what the schedule is. You know, if, there's a, if it's a 55-game schedule, then play 50 games. Show us you could do that, that your knee is in some sort of shape because he's got all the other tools to get around the net, good shot, hard player, plays in the corners, plays physical good kid, love him. they love him in the locker room, but you got to show that that knee is better because 
you know, last year when I was talking to him about the knee, it still wasn't right. And he still did pretty well at Michigan State with it not being right. But at some point, that's going to stop, you know. And speaking of knees, uh, Sam Moran, uh, should we just uh, forget his name or is uh, can we can we see him come up and maybe play play some meaningful hockey for the Flyers? No, I, I think you should forget his name. I think he's yeah. a great guy. Um, I don't even think they'll re-sign him. But it's one of those things where he was up against it when he started, even before the injuries, because he wasn't a great skater, right? He was a good straight-line skater. And, and the first thing I noticed from Sam um, was he could play one side of the ice and not the other. Then as, after a while, it got a little better, and he started to be able to at least switch and be able to do that. But then there was injuries, and then this happened, and that happened. And then so now I think it's at the point where he could play in the AHL. I think he could play some minutes in the NHL. But the problem is I don't want an enforcer as a defenseman because if you sit in five minutes in the box, I've now shortened my defensive bench, and defense is everything in this league, and I don't want a guy in the box from, that's on my blue line. If yeah. I have a forward, if I'm short a forward, it's not as bad, right? But if I'm short a defenseman, it's bad. Yeah, that's a great point because then you're losing a whole guy for five minutes and you're throwing off your pairs and it just Correct. I think it throws off the entire flow of the game. So that that yeah. makes sense, which is unfortunate because I mean, he is that, a great guy. He really is, and he's that nastiness that you like in your player. Yeah, but he's strong it's, it's, and he's nasty, and someone will somebody will take him for that. Somebody will. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get a shot next year, at least playing in the AHL to prove he's healthy. But right, I don't know if he's ever going to be a full timer either. Oh, Sam Marine. Well, Russ, I do have a, a question about one more prospect, but I kind of want to tie it in with a, a, a guy coming out in this year's draft that you wrote an article about, and that's uh, Zeon Nyback. Um, yeah. Now, he does. He is a teammate of Linus Sandin, correct? Yeah. Okay. Do you th- Now, you have him ranked here at 30th. Do you think there's any chance, because he's somewhat of a project, uh, that the Flyers would be maybe because of the connection of some sorts. Do you think that, and he's a winger, do you think he's a guy maybe because they have a pretty decant prospect pool they take a chance on um, where they're drafting, or is that just too too high? I forget. Do they have a second? Uh, I believe they had to do. Okay, yeah, because if they're in the middle of the second, I would play the waiting game on that one. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I would get my my first guy on the board first, and then I'll get my next guy because he is signed through 2023. And, yeah, I'm sure there's an out or they're going to have to give some sort of financial compensation to get him out of that contract or something, right? But at the end of the day, there's something there with this guy that I like. And and I think the competitiveness, the fact that he is in the SHL playing against men, yeah, he's three games in and he doesn't have a point. That's fine. But he has a really good shot. He does have excellent passing ability. And and he works on his two-way game, which I think is pretty good. But he is 18. And I and the one thing I brought up is I kind of bring, you know, remember when I got Lindblom? We used to get Chris Pryor on our XM show. And he was like, we really like Oscar Lindblom. And we, you know, should keep an eye on him. And, you know, and after a couple of years of playing in the SHL, they brought him over. He had that little... Short been, you know, a little stint in Lehigh, and then he was in the NHL. Like, that is the zenith, the best case scenario for any of those kinds of guys when you draft them, especially where they drafted Limblom. But, um, but even if Nybeck were a year behind that, you're laughing. 
if you can get a guy in the second round with that and then actually could score 15 goals or more in the NHL. And I think there's a chance. And so I would do it. I would do it in the second round, though. Okay. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if... Uh, and you already have Sandine, and you've signed him. Yeah. And you have him on loan, so they're playing together. So that's good. And then at some point, and, and you know, if you read the article, you'll see he thinks the world of Sandine. Sandine's actually helped him becoming a pro. And so that's there is something there. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to ask you. It seemed like in your article he could potentially be like mid second, but then I see you have him rated here at thirty. So that's just worried. my yeah. That's I I am probably higher on him than other people. Like even yesterday we did our podcast off the post, and we had Chris Peters on from ESPN, and clearly I found out from that that I'm higher on Noel Gundler than he is. But that's fine. I'm okay with that. That's just the way it is. I wouldn't mind if he dropped to the Flyers. <laughs> Nobody would. I don't think it will happen either. But no. And that's one of those guys, though, if somehow he's on the board, it doesn't matter who we just talked about. You're taking that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely have somebody to look out for in the second uh, second round, although it wouldn't surprise me yeah. if Tampa snagged him. I feel like they have such a plethora of talent. They could take whoever they want. It wouldn't really matter. They really, Tampa has the ability, yes, they could take risks. Um, I did skip over the Rangers 22nd overall pick. I mean, they go in center here. You think, I don't think it's necessarily center. Uh, I think, you know, I think they would look at a guy like Poirier because, uh, while they have a decent defensive pool, I don't think they would ever try and say it's, it's set where they don't need anybody. I think, um, I think a guy like Zary would be interesting to them because they do like some of those Western kids. They've worked out well in New York because they're the guys who come from Western Canada can be a little boring and that works well in New York because they don't seem to, you know, enjoy (laughs) New York as much as others. Um, So that's, and you could laugh, but it really is true. Like it is, you know, it's one of those things that has worked out. Um, I could see if Amarov were there, which I don't think he will be. I think they might go for him. Uh, Because, again, he's playing in the K, and so is Kratzov. So then they'd have a couple guys to keep an eye on there. I think – I know they've scouted Foodie pretty well. I think they might consider Jean-Luc Foodie. Now, that's a guy who – great skater, uh, tons of ability, like Liam, but just couldn't put it all together last year. But a lot of times he would pass the puck and wouldn't get it back or not get it or try and do too much himself. I do think he sort of fell victim to that a little bit, but I, you know, I, I think Jean-Luc Foudy would be a good pick too. I mean, I really like what the Rangers have done rebuilding. Bordelow is another guy too. I think they they probably consider Bordelow from the U.S. program. A, 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 around there, they got a plethora of guys. A lot of them centers they could pick. Yeah, just that none of them will be like a first line center, right? When you're when you're yeah. drafting there, you're looking at the zenith being second line, but most likely being third line, and that's you know. That's what you'll be getting. And after drafting Lafreniere, that's that's all right. Yeah, you can yeah, handle that. That's kind of what I was going with. That <laughs> say, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're looking pretty good. Well, if- Ranger fans will still focus on the fact that they're not strong enough at center, so they'll still bitch about that. Don't worry. <laughs> and and real quick on the Rangers, uh, Lundqvist going to be a Ranger next year? It's a great question. Uh, I kept hearing last year that there's no way they can carry three goalies, and they did. And after a while, I I said that they were going to, and everybody's like, you're crazy, they can't. And I'm like, why? They actually can. It's just that nobody really does. But in this case, they did. Um, I think now with the trade of Stahl, 
it slows down the need to have to buy him out right away because I think they're trying to look for either him to say, I'll go somewhere else, or him to say, I'm going to retire, or him to just say, hey, I, I don't want to go anywhere, but I'm going to come back, and then maybe they trade him at the deadline. And so yeah. I do think all those things are possible. I do. And, and, you know, I do think I've always felt at the end of his career he might want to go back. And this year, if he went back, he could play for Orlando with his brother. I don't know how much longer Joel will play. Maybe that's on his bucket list, too. But, you know, I do think all of those things are possible. But the way the season's going now, the interesting part for me is he's he's back in New York. His kid is in school. Well, if he were to just to hang on with the Rangers and they and he gives them these, you know, the nod that, yeah, you could trade me at the deadline if you don't need me. Um, kids school is almost over at that point, right? He's got maybe a month left in school. I think he would probably then be okay with getting traded to someplace where, and then they wouldn't sort of ruin his, the back end of his legacy where if they want to bring him back and put him in a position there, which I think everybody could see, it would be okay. Cause you know, back in the day, the way Brian Leach got traded, he didn't like that. And Leach, you know, had no problem telling me that a few times over the years. And, and that kept him away for a while because he was mad at Glenn Sater for a while. And he was public about that. So you don't want to make that same mistake with Lundqvist, right? Because that's like a guy you want to keep as a lifetime Ranger somehow. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, the, same, I, I, the same way that the Flyers do with Perron, right? It's the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah you, don't, you don't think as Eklund's been uh, pushing that he winds up with the Devils in some way, shape, or form? No, I've been fighting that <laughs> even on the show. <laughs> he is he has besmirched that organization so much that I I just have a hard time believing he would acquiesce and go there because he has said a lot of bad things about. Him. <laughs> well, Not as bad as Gretzky, but bad. <laughs> um, with that, the last Metro team to have a pick in the first round is at twenty five, the Washington Capitals. Are they go on best player available, or they yeah, have yeah. a need. Yeah, they got to go BPA because. Where they're at, they're in a dangerous spot right now because their their prospect pool used to be great. Now it's pretty good. They have a mix of older and younger players. Maybe Ovechkin's going to stay a few more years. He's, he's, he's his own agent now, which I think is fabulous. <laughs> he decided he didn't even need an agent now. He's just going to negotiate his next deal <laughs> himself. Um, that's But that's Ovechkin. Like that's, you, yeah. you would expect that, right? Um, but if they get to keep him a few more years, that changes things too. Holpe, uh, I thought he was going to be gone, but now with the saturated goalie market, maybe he would take less and stay. Because we don't know. The one thing, and I, and I think the world of Samsonov, and I think he'll be a terrific NHLer, but I don't know if that ATV accident set him back a little bit. Yeah, know? that was really bizarre when he it was yeah. that happened and he was out. So that, 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 that could play into it. I could see. That could play because what if they say, "Hey, he's going to be able to play this year, but he probably shouldn't play fifty games or something." You know, then they might say, "Hey, Holpe, two years. What do you think?" And Holpe might do it. Yeah, with the market, that, that's it's very possible. I, I I see Holpe as a guy that wants to start, but you know what? If if uh, Samsonov isn't going to be ready to play a full season, that might play into it. But anyhow, pick wise, they they really do seem to to like the European players. Um, I don't think Walinda will be there anymore, but they would love a guy like that. I, I kind of wonder if they would take Helgi Grounds. I I had just interviewed him about a week ago. That That is not up on the website yet, but it will be in the next week. I, I, that's a very interesting defenseman, offensive guy. He's not physical, 
but you don't have to be. He is a guy that strips the puck well, but he has good speed. He has and he has an offensive upside. I could see Helgi Grans being a uh, a fit there. Yeah, I feel like whatever they do is going to be a decent player, and they're going to be looking pretty good. They, I, I just where this team finds cap space sometimes it, it blows my mind. Do you think oh, yeah. uh, Gudis is back? No. Me neither. So I thought they maybe instead of what's his name, uh, Holpe being back, I thought they were going to look at some defense, not in the draft in the free agency. Yeah, I think Gudis will price himself out there for what he did <laughs> or didn't do. I was going to say, I don't, know, I don't know how much he can really ask for. Yeah, my God. No, but he still has a pretty good rep as being a physical defenseman that plays better in his own end than you expect him to. That's true. Before we let him go, he surprised me a little bit because the right. year before that, I was completely done with him. So, you know, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what guy you're going to get. No. Um, so, Russ, we're roughly at an hour and 20 minutes. My God. Uh, are there any guys that could be potentially, you know, surprise guys in the second round that you have your eye on that maybe we don't? Yeah. So, guys in my rankings, a lot of people have Tyce Milanic as a second rounder. I think he's a guy that will show us all that he isn't. But he was injured this year. He actually broke a finger before the All-American Prospects game and still played in that game with a broken finger. And I got to report it because I saw that he had like sort of like a cast under his shirt. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, oh, yeah, I got a broken finger. And I'm like, you're still playing? He goes, yeah, I'm playing. Doctor said I could play. I'm playing. Um, and it and hurt his offense. So if you look at two years ago, his offense was much better. But he's got great speed. He's good on faceoffs. And so this is a guy who I think – is, is a sleeper in the making simply because he's gotten hurt in his draft year. And sometimes that, that hurts you. So I think there's that, I think Sean Farrell who plays with the Chicago steel really fast. He played in the all American prospects game. I really like him a lot. Uh, even Powell defenseman got injured. So didn't even play in that game, but has a lot of talent. He was with the program, Sam Colangelo power forward. That's a guy who's just going to be lurking around the end of the first somewhere in the second, but he is a really good kid who plays a two-way game, very good down low, but also working on his speed. If he gets a little faster, it could be that kind of power forward that is dangerous someday in the NHL. So, so those are some good names. Nice. And I, I meant to ask you about Washington. What would you think of the Laviolette hiring? Because we hate it here because we love Laviolette. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought it was the perfect hiring. And I think that's – I kept thinking to myself he would leave Ovechkin alone. And that would be good for Ovechkin maybe staying there instead of going back to Russia, right? If a defensive coach came in, he'd probably go back to Russia. Yeah. I think it's a good sign that maybe like two, three days after he came in, we heard that Ovechkin's working on his contract. So I think he felt the same way. And so I think that was a big, to me, the biggest positive of that move. But also a lot of those um, veterans underperformed for that team a lot of times during the year and, and later in the year. And so I think he is going to put a spark under them. Oh, man. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect hiring, too. That's what we're afraid yep. of. Plus, we love the Aviolette anyway. Oh, yeah. But, Russ, we could we could talk to you all night. I actually had to cut some stuff short because we're just running too long here. <laughs> uh, I hope at some point you come back on. It was an absolute sure. pleasure to talk to you. Is there anything you want to plug, Russ? I already did, so I'm good. Don't worry. And, yeah, I, you know, I'm happy to come back on. You know, If you want to get me on after the draft, that's fine. That's a great idea, actually. And yes, yeah, Sportsology, all that's where I got all my information here. Uh, no, cool. we are you going to have your mock draft on Sportsology? Is that for no, no? It'll be I do it through a company called Featured, and they outsource it, so it'll be in, at a lot of different places. And 
It probably is going to come out Monday or Tuesday. Okay, so keep an eye out for that. They twisted Russ's arm to get that out, but the rankings are here. This is what I'll be using when I watch the draft. Got a couple of good names to the second round. Um, yeah, sportsology.com and uh, usually a regular on Hockey Buzz as well. There's some Thanks. other good names too. Like if you search my site and just put in NHL draft, you'll see that I have probably done 20, 25 articles between my site, Elite Prospects, and just on other websites. So there's a lot of guys that you could fill in for the second round, like Daniil Gushkin is is one of them, you know, so. Okay, yeah, I'm on the site right now, and I will be doing that. Um, Hey, we'll see where these guys go and what happens. Uh, Russ, thanks again so much for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. All right, guys, take care. Thank you, Russ. Guys, that was Russ Cohen, as you've heard. That That was an awesome interview, Steve. I have... A notebook here of guys I'll be looking for this draft, especially how abruptly it came on us. Guys, a wealth of knowledge. It was great talking to him. That, that was unbelievable. And, and honestly, I like you said, I could have talked to him for another probably two hours and filled the time, no problem. The, I, I'd love to pick his brain and hopefully in the future on uh, kind of what he's looking for when he's scouting and just getting his takes on all those players is really insightful. Yeah, exactly. And I feel upset. I had to cut it short. And while we might have him back on in the future, some of the stuff I had was only going to be relevant before the draft. But, (laughs) you know, that's coming up. That's upon us. It's good to get that information out there. But with that, guys, I think that's a wrap. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, favorite, and subscribe. Keep an eye out for all HW Radio content. Our main show with myself, Kyle, and Jimmy. Enforcer's Corner. The Jim and Jim Show with Jim Dowd. Anything but hockey with Kelly Hinkle. That A new episode of that just came out. Also, check out our website. Got a lot of new writers out there. Loot content. Uh, HWHockey.net. Where you can find any of our past shows or present on there. And um, hopefully get some rankings on there soon. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's it. Please join us next time when we when HW Radio comes full circle. I'm Jack Smith. You can find me at Jack underscore HW Radio. He's Steve Ferrari. You can find him at Ferrari underscore HW Radio. And that'll do it. Thanks, guys.